I think Natal's fake frozen. That's helpful. Yeah, you're right, Ann. <laughs> hey, welcome into God's Word during exile. How could you tell that I was faking? I don't know. You just trembled a little, I think. Darn. Uh, I'll have to try that again. I'll just, yeah, seriously. Hey, welcome into God's Word during exile. We're a group of pastors that study God's Word together. We have a good time. And uh, we're excited today to, first off, I have to be admonished because I lied to you last week. Uh, and telling you that we were going to finish the Ten Commandments. What can I say? I have lofty goals for this group, and I just assume that we are... And we never fail to disappoint. There you go. So, <laughs> and ever the optimist. I am always yeah. the optimist, or the, you know, because of Optimus Prime. And uh, I am looking forward to closing the Ten Commandments today. Because that literally is what's going to happen. Is and if it? it doesn't, we're done with the Ten Commandments today. This is going to be it. This is it. If we don't finish them, are you going to like quit and leave the podcast? Is that what's going to happen? No. We're just not doing it again. Yeah, we're just not doing it again. Boycott, <laughs> boycott TC. There you go. Which also, I'm pretty sure that that's a Newsies quote. But I can't remember why it is. I'll have to look that up. TC stands for something, I think. Mm-hmm. There was a reason why they were boycotting it. But it also is Ten Commandments, too. So we'll see how it goes. Um, so I hope everyone's doing good. And I hope you guys are doing good. Because Mike's over here, even though this is probably totally wrong. Mike's over here. Good, thanks. Ben's down here. Matt's, like, over here in this corner. Over here on the bottom. Perfectly fine. Hollywood squares. Circle gets a square. Who's opening in prayer? Uh, ben. Ben, would you open us in a word, in a word of prayer? Thanks be to God. <laughs> It'll take a minute to finish, you know, kind of marveling at how you worked all that. To you. <laughs> Did you see how I rhymed it too as we yeah. went into Oh yeah, yes. yeah. We noticed. Yeah, I am a wordsmith. <laughs> oh my word! All right, let us attempt to pray. Heavenly <laughs> Father, thanks for another day that you've given uh, to us, and thanks for this time that we can uh, take a look at uh, your word um, and consider uh, both uh, your severity toward. Uh, sin and also your mercy toward those who repent and so so that you bless our time and that it would be a blessing to our listeners in your name we pray amen 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 all right so if you got your catechisms let's remember it's it's this one here uh we're on page 14 if you want to follow along looking at the close of the commandments and i'll read it for us what does god say about all these commandments he says I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's a quote from Exodus 25 through 6. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them, but he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. 
Um, as we were talking about this beforehand, um, Ben pointed out something that I thought was pretty interesting. And I think he's going to have something real smart to say about it. Uh, but in the catechism, the close of the commandments is quoting Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. And that's not actually the end of the passage, right? This comes in the middle of the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? So why do you think Luther put it at the end? I really set Ben up for a smart answer here. Yeah, it really, um, well, it comes as part of the first commandment. Um, so we have, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the following verses speak about not making, you know, carved images, right? And it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then the next verse is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So that's really, so these verses five and six are really part of the, full explanation of the first commandment. And I don't, I don't know, like I don't have a, a quote or statement from Luther as to why he put them there. But if I had to guess, it's because, uh, well, all of the commandments are really tied to the first one. Right. <clears throat> um, and so taking this further explanation of the first commandment and putting it at the end, it kind of reminds us that all of the, all of the commandments at their heart have to do with, with faith and unbelief. So, so if we, if our faith is right and we, and we trust in, in God and in his promises, then from mm -hmm. that faith flows the keeping of the commandments. Um, if we lack that faith, it doesn't matter how, much we may externally come into alignment with the commandments, we're not going to keep them because our faith is wrong, right? We don't have that that faith. And so putting it at the end kind of reminds us of that um, and kind of sums everything up too. Like, okay, here are all the commandments. Now this is what God says, you know, about these commandments. If you rebel against me, I will, you know, punish you, basically, and bring judgment on you. Uh, but if you repent and you keep my commandments, I will bless you. So it seems to function that way then as a kind of a good summary of the whole thing. That's I kind of say what you said in a, in a different way, because you, you related all the commandments back to the first. <laughs> we look back to the, the very first sin of Adam and Eve, right? It was taking and eating from the tree of knowledge, but... But ultimately, that was Adam and Eve sort of exchanging their worship for God at the tree, right, with a worship of themselves, of wanting to take his throne for themselves. And when we break the commandments in whatever ways we do it, whether it's adultery or it's murder or it's theft or it's coveting, whatever, um, we're in essence saying, you know, God, you said this, but I know better. Um, I, I think I'd, I'd be a better God than you are. So you are violating the first in every way. So it totally makes sense to bring that to the end and use it to sum up and tie everything together. Because it, it illustrates that point that, you know, all sin is is ultimately flowing from our own idolatry. And that's that's not very fun to hear, but it's true.
And this is still respecting the commandments order in Exodus 20. It's just pointing out that why is it put there right after the first commandment? It's because it's showing that everything comes back to the first commandment. Um, and that's also, I think, why, you know, because some people would say, well, it's after the second commandment. But we're also saying that that what some call the second commandment of not making graven images is also referring back specifically to the first commandment because what is it to have a graven image it's to have another god before him and and so we're seeing that as just it's like let's hit pause on the 10 and we're going to like look closer at uh what what the first means and really the the blessings and consequences of it and everything that flows from it um, and then they get back to it after that. That's how we see it anyway, I think. So uh, you talked about blessings and curses, right, Matt? Mm -hmm. I don't remember the language that Ben used, um, but ultimately we're talking about something that Lutherans really love to talk about in this passage, right? What is this mm -hmm. thing we're talking about? Law yeah, and gospel. Nelson not TC, it's LG. <clears throat> LG and not the TV. <laughs> there you go <laughs> but law and gospel anybody anybody want to throw out just a real quick overview of law and gospel it, it's such an important concept for us to to wrap our heads around when we're dealing with all of scripture because there's law in the old testament there's law in the new testament there's gospel in both places too you're ready? all okay, you ready morris code morris code sos the law shows us our sin sos the gospel, SOS, shows us our Savior. So that's basically as boiled down as you can get. The law shows us our sin. The gospel shows us our Savior. But it does a lot more than that. So like the law does multiple things where it basically holds a mirror up to us and it says, hey, look at yourself in light of these things, mainly the Ten Commandments. Are you keeping them? Nope. Are you able to? Nope. And then you basically come to this broken point where you're like, yeah, I can't do it. It's impossible for me to do it. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit then says, you're right. You can't, but Jesus can. And that's where the gospel comes in. And Jesus, basically, we are told that uh, Jesus's death on the cross has forgiven our sins. And uh, through faith, we have that forgiveness. And so there is the law and the gospel very minimally and we could probably talk about this for oh hours hours easy yeah. well mike i want to add one thing to what you said just because you brought up one of the uses or functions of the law because there, yeah. there are three of them that we recognize you said the mirror we look into god's god's law it shows us our sin um you've also got the curb right curb. And the curbs there with threats to say don't do this it's going to hurt yourself and others and the law's threat's pretty serious you know it basically says hey do you guys want hell because here's how you get hell. Do this. So you have pretty scary threat. A lot scarier so it, than the curb on a road. Because, it, yeah, it keeps things not as bad as they could be. Mm -hmm. it keeps cars on the road. It's like a police officer sitting there with his gun, ray gun, ray gun, his uh, scanner gun. <laughs> <laughs> his scanner gun. And you see him on the side of the road and you you pump your brakes because you're like, oop, I'm going too fast. Yep. And you know the threat of the law and it it keeps you reined in. 
And, and then third use is we, we call it the light and it, it shows us how God would live our, have us live our lives, right? 10 commandments have done this. They've said, this is how you should live. Lo- love your neighbor and don't be a jerk. Love God and, uh, and have nothing before him. You know, Where's the guide? Trans- yeah. What translation was that? Don't be a jerk. Where is that? Oh, uh, that is the, uh, MCH translation. It MCH. hasn't been released yet. Ben uh, was really offended by that. He just took he off. Was. Uh, he was. He totally was. was. Yeah, and uh, so and then there's one more. You were talking to him. One more law distinction that I always like to make, and it's is we we say that the law it's a Latin phrase lex semper accusat. The law is always uh, accusing, but the law is not only accusing. So we have to kind of make that distinction. Right. The law is always going to show us our sin, but it does other things too. It does other things too. Yep. So if the law um, accuses, then the gospel assures, yeah. or maybe something else. It, it promises, it offers hope. The gospel is never what you do, right? The gospel is what God has done through Christ for you. It's always gift. It's always good news. It's never a demand. So that's those are the distinctions that we're making. Um, and, and ultimately, it's not ours to use them. It's, it's the work of the Holy spirit and use it yep. to bring conviction, show us how to live, etc., And to also bring us to faith in Christ and strengthen that faith through the gospel. Yep. So if the law says do this, the gospel says it is done in Christ. Yeah. Yep. That's probably and so on. There's many distinction, right? Gospels or law says do gospel says done in Christ. Yep. Oh, Ben loved that part. He's back. Perfectly back for the gospel. He heard the gospel, and so he's back. He's back. (laughs) You're Uh, worried that you were hardening your heart to the law, Ben, and that's why you left. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit was convicting so much that you couldn't hear it anymore. And instead of repenting, you decided to leave the room. (laughs) I I think what we were doing is actually just terrifying an already afflicted conscience. He Ooh, just maybe. couldn't stand yeah. anymore. He was already afflicted. He needed the words of the gospel. However, and then I, the gospel drew him back in, yes, right? It, I was going to say, back. Ben is fully clothed, though, so it wasn't a scene from Adam and Eve that he was reenacting. Was <laughs> no. Maybe he, walked, he ran away to hide, and he was going to come back in a fig leaf, but you ruined it for us. I'm ben. really glad that you didn't come back in a fig leaf, Ben. That would have been too. rough. Oh dear! Oh. Yeah, that we would have had to scrap this. I don't even know how many listeners we I would find a fig leaf in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, special order that. That'd take a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we we've talked about law and gospel distinction. So let's let's start with the law in in this passage. What is the the law is making a promise here too, right? They're both promises. It's just that the promise of the law is terrifying. Um, so what's what's the word of the law, the promise of the law that comes here in Exodus 25 and 6? God says he's a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Do you want to soften that up so it doesn't hurt so bad, Matt? <laughs> we shouldn't. Uh <laughs> That's actually one of the things that I I love about Lutheran teaching is that we don't try to uh, dull God's knife or, you know, we we say it's sharp for a reason and it's precise and it cuts all the way to our conscience and our heart. And um, and it is also supposed to leave us without a leg to stand on. No excuses, no uh, no wiggling out of it. You know, it's God is very precise and his 
his law is complete and perfect. You know, I remember um, uh, uh, a moment like a hundred yards from where you're sitting, Hussey, where talking with my wife and it was just one of those moments we were in the parsonage next door and uh and i don't remember what we were talking about but you know loritas made some and she tells this story so i'm not spilling the beans or something this is kind of part of her testimony uh she she was saying something like well it's not like god expects us to be perfect you know we We all make mistakes. You know, that's what we all, how we think. This is, I mean, how many times have we probably said this? But it's not like God expects us to be perfect. And I, there was this pause and I said, yes, he does. And, and just to think about the completeness of God's expectations and also the completement, completeness of his punishment and wrath against sin Um, God doesn't go halfway or soft pedal this. Um, his expectations are perfection and his wrath against sin is complete and his condemnation against sin is complete. And so we can't, you know, find a place to hide in all of this. Um, and the temptation is to do that because Uh, it's uncomfortable when we allow it to really hurt like that. And when we examine ourselves with total perfection, with total bright light shining on all of our dark secrets. Um, but we have to let it do that. Um, we can't, we can't just say, Oh, well, everybody makes mistakes. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's, it's right or that it's okay or that it won't be punished. Um, And just because we can't do anything about it and we think that's not fair, that's not an excuse for what we've done or or that it means it's okay. And so we have to be so careful. Um, I mean, I've even been dealing with this. We studied confession of sin over Lent at my church, and it just we were talking about this so much because this even happens when somebody confesses their sin to us, uh, either sinning against us or against God. But we tend to say, oh, it's okay. We're, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, you know, I do too, um, you know. And and we minimize the seriousness of sin and its consequences. And um, But God doesn't. His word does not. He... He demands perfection, and he says the consequences of even relaxing one of the least of his laws is eternal damnation in the lake of fire. Because God is perfection, and he cannot mingle with imperfection, with corruption, with sin. So, <clears throat> Matt, you brought up something or, or skirted next to something that I think is also really important. It's, it's also really a good Lutheran distinction, right? talking about the, the horizontal relationship with other human beings and our vertical relationship with God. In our vertical relationship with God, every single sin is a mortal sin. It is a sin that is deserving of, of hell. Um, and we, we deserve that judgment. And yet, it, horizontally, when we interact with other human beings, we're called to show grace and love and have mercy and, and things. It's, it's not that their actions are not serious or bad, 
but we we should be agents of of grace as we encounter our our neighbors, right? So yes. I just want to make that that distinction real real clear. Then being nice, yes. loving our neighbor, God calls us to it, right? But yep. it doesn't earn us brownie points this way either, right? That's all Jesus, yep. right? That's all Jesus. And just to quickly kind of respond to that, Natal's holding up a good uh, chart for you if you uh, want to reference that. Um, but so I had a little bit of an experience recently that uh, comes to mind with this, though, that makes me realize how important it is that we recognize that even horizontal sins against each other are sins against God, breaking the first commandment, and that we ought not to minimize those in the sense that we say, it's fine, it's okay, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. If it's a sin, it goes back to God, and we should say, I forgive you, instead of saying, oh, it's fine. Uh, because um, ultimately, you know, people need to be forgiven of these sins before God and and not have us treat them like they're insignificant. I had somebody that um you know was apologizing to me for um for something and I took it as like in the context I took it as they thought they personally offended me, they had not. And I said, "Oh, it's really not a problem because I was not offended." It was not something where it was against me. I didn't feel. But then after I left, I realized they might have been confessing that sin to me that they felt guilty before God. And I should have said, you are forgiven. Even though I wasn't personally offended. Because now this person, I'm probably going to have to call him back. I, I've been meaning to and I forgot about it, but now it comes to mind. I'm going to have to call him back and say, you know what? You confessed that you knew you were doing something wrong. And even though it hadn't offended me, I want to let you know that you're forgiven before God. Because, because of what Jesus has done for you. And we need to recognize that we need that. And, 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 be, and when we allow the law to be completely condemning and and allow it to uh, burn our conscience you know or or burn in our conscience then we are driven to the cross otherwise we try to keep limping along or just patch our ourselves up and keep going right we need to be driven to the cross in complete and utter helplessness and failure and completely cry out for the mercy of God because we don't deserve his grace and and mercy. The law should kill, right? It's not like yeah. that scene from Monty Python with the guy in the dead cart. I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. No, that's what we do if the law hasn't killed. And that's, right. uh, it, it. you know, it feels good to say I'm doing okay, but that's not good. Yep. Good. And to just go back to my example from Lori, um, my wife, uh, before it was so beautiful how after we had that exchange about yes, God does demand perfection, then the then the beauty of the gospel washed over her in a new way. And and she has had this different assurance of her salvation and appreciation of the gospel than she maybe had ever experienced before that. And it was such a beautiful thing. It's changed her life. And um and and so um, it's really exciting to see when you let the law do its work, then um, the Lord brings us to the place where he wants to heal us and resurrect us 
and restore us, um, give us peace and assurance. Um, and, and so it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? So even though this law hurts and it's really devastating, it's supposed to be, but all for the sake of bringing you to the place where you will actually cry out for mercy and then receive his grace. So I, I don't want to make Mike Natal a liar. I could. I could push this so we definitely don't finish this week, but I want to make, I want to, I want to defend my friend's reputation, right? And not make him mm-hmm. a liar. So uh, let's talk about the generations of the curse, the law part, and the generations of the of the promise, the gospel part, and kind of how they relate. Because it's a, it's a curse to three and four generations of those that that reject God, and a blessing to thousands of generations of those um, who repent and trust in him. So how should we see and understand that little bit? Let's see if we can tie this up mm-hmm. so that... Well, that's it, everybody. We're going to close and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, a quick, a quick wrong way, I think, if I dare say, to understand the generational curse is that it's some sort of voodoo thing or some sort of like Incan Mayan blood curse that goes on to the, I don't know if I'm correctly attributing things, but some sort of uh, curse that goes into your blood, your family, and now everyone after you is doomed with this destiny to... Um, you know, uh, all these curses you can't escape from. I don't think that's an appropriate understanding of this. But what is a better way? Nobody wants to take it? I've been talking too much. I I could (laughs) answer my own question, but... Uh, Yeah, so this is a fair to be as succinct as possible. Um, one, I think it does recognize um, the fact that um, children learn from, do learn from their parents. And so there can be a sense of generational sin, not in that, not in the way that Matt was talking about, but but in the sense of imitation, right? So kids learn from their parents. And so a lot of times the same kinds of sins can be uh, passed on in a sense to uh, from generation to generation by way of imitation, not by way of imputation, we might say. Um, But I think the, I don't know. I think the best way to understand this is one to notice that God's wrath that he states here, he speaks of, it, you know, to the third and fourth generation, for example. But when you compare that to his love and his mercy, it's a thousand generations. In other words, like forever. Right. So, so we do see a difference in magnitude, you know, God's mercy is greater in magnitude than his, than his wrath and that, but I think it's simply you know, can go back to what we were talking about with the law gospel distinction that that it is serious to to break God's commands. It is serious to rebel against him. And there are consequences for those things. Ultimately, uh, if there is no repentance, there is, you know, hell is the consequence. Um, but there are also temporal consequences to um to rebellion against 
God. And there are temporal blessings as well as eternal blessings for, uh, you know, those who love God and keep his commandments. And we just have to remember that that all comes from faith. Faith is what produces that stuff. It's not like we can earn God's blessing or kindness or so on. Um, and so it really sets before us, you know, both the the judgment and the mercy of God. And these things will go back and forth a lot, you know? So it's not like, again, kind of going on with, with what Matt was talking about in that way of thinking of like this generational curse kind of a thing. Some, we don't want to get locked into thinking that, well, because, because I did this or because my, my parents or my grandparents committed this sin, therefore I am locked into being under God's judgment. Um, it's not a, it's not an absolute thing in that way of like, Oh, such so-and-so sinned. And so therefore three to four generations down the line, they're going to suffer consequences. It's, it's more like God sending Jonah to Nineveh to preach to the Assyrians. And, and he says, you know, 40 days and God's going to wipe you out. Right. And, they repent. And so God withholds his judgment and has mercy. Right. And that's exactly how, how these things are to work as well. God threatens us with judgment and wrath on account of our sin so that he can give us mercy and grace. Because what he wants from that, as Matt was saying before too, what he wants from that is the the recognition, the acknowledgement on our part. I mean, that's what confession means to say the same as basically. So when we're confessing sin, we're saying, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. That's what God wants. He wants that recognition that, yep, I have sinned so that he can have mercy upon us. That was good. You got it done only like a minute late too, Ben. That was awesome. Good work. I think you take the guy, the gospel crown from Matt today. You're going to keep that one till next week. Could I just read a couple of verses to close it? He's trying to steal from it Galat- back. Galatians 3. Yeah, and then to, close us in I, prayer after you read too. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Galatians 3, uh, 10 through 13. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them now it is evident that no one just is justified before god by the law for the righteous shall live by faith but the law is not a faith rather the one who does them shall live by them christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree Lord, we thank you for uh, your word, and uh, it is devastating to hear the words of the law and to realize that you demand absolute perfection, and uh, even as we try to live by them, we recognize that uh, we cannot, and that even and by breaking any of them, we are, are guilty of being a lawbreaker, uh, but Lord, as we look closely at the laws we recognize we've broken them all and especially the first one the most important one about having other gods before you and we have not trusted you um above all things 
even though you are the God who gives us every good thing and you have blessed us, you've been patient, you've been merciful and good to us and showered blessings upon us. And yet we have not trusted in you. And, and so Lord, we recognize it, we admit it, but we thank you that Jesus became a curse for us, hung on that cursed tree, uh, covered in our sins, uh, but there he paid for it. And it is so good to know the gospel that it is done. It is finished. It's paid in full in our place. Um, and we thank you for leading us through this process, even uh, even the part of the process that felt horrible uh, and when we felt guilty and ashamed and uh, and be, all because you were kind in leading us to repentance and to the cross, to Jesus, where our sins are paid for, where we can have free release and be at peace with you because of what he's done for us. Help us to believe in that and be saved. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.